0: Inside the IC is sponsored by Microsoft Federal, the choice for classified missions. Welcome to Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal on Federal News Network. Now your host, Justin Doubleday. Welcome to the latest show. Thank you for joining us. My guest today is Jeff Smith, Executive Program Manager for the National Background Investigation Services at the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency, Jeff, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, Good morning, Justin. I appreciate you taking the time and having us uh, join you to talk about a very uh, high-profile program for the whole government, uh, INBIS, and uh, looking forward to seeing what we do to answer your questions.
0: Absolutely. I I think this is uh, something that a lot of our listeners will be really interested in learning more about. And, you know, INBIS has obviously been described as the the linchpin of the personnel vetting reform efforts that are really ongoing across the federal government right now so so no pressure there in your seat but i think it'd be useful to kind of break down mm-hmm. what inbis is because it's not really just you know one application or piece of software right but it's several capabilities being developed brought together under under one roof can you kind of just describe what this whole inbis thing actually is yeah.
1: No, that's a great question, Justin. It is complex and complicated. And uh, if you step back a little bit and think about where EMBUS was developed from. So first, uh, the 2015 breach of the OPM system is kind of the catalyst that had uh, the whole of government asking the questions of is our technology of a a maturity or of a robustness to handle not only the background investigation mission and, and ongoing security threats, but is it uh, prepared to support these evolutionary changes that were that were growing from continuous vetting to uh, trusted workforce? And so inbus uh, was born out of the breach and, and has uh, many tentacles in many different mission areas. And we, we'd like to refer to it as really a secure transformational end-to-end IT system, really to get after this personnel vetting problem holistically. And so MBUS is really not, to your point, not one system. It's really a system, a transformational IT system that's going to be developed or is being developed on a unified platform to really just... ultimately allow us to sunset seven different disparate systems across the personnel vetting mission. So when you think about that, those seven uh, disparate systems, you're talking about uh, obviously the original background investigation system, often referred to now as a legacy IT system, uh, also sunsetting uh, are supporting supporting the missions uh, obviously background investigations but from adjudication our dis system that currently is the legacy system providing adjudication and subject management capabilities uh, and then growing this new construct uh, that's roughly let's call it about 4 years in execution originally named continuous evaluation but now continuous vetting and so these are the three major mission streams, and those are supported by three major IT programs, all legacy in nature. So you have the Legacy Background Investigation System, you have DIS, the Adjudications Module, and then you have Mirador, which provides our current CE or CECV capability set for the whole of government. Uh, additionally, there are other ancillary systems. Uh, many people will recognize the sunsetting of JPASS. Uh, this system was uh, was inherited by DCSA as the organization was forming. Uh, we had to make some crucial decisions uh, due to security risks to sunset that system. Uh, so that is a system that has been sunsetted uh, already back in April of 21. That functionality was created. Uh, born or, or captured and produced inside of DIS, and then ultimately DIS will be transitioned into inbus And there are some other cats and dog uh, systems that go along with that, but think about seven disparate systems, a whole-of-government approach, um, and really supporting three major mission streams, as well as the vision to support our industry partners, roughly somewhere over 13,000 industry partners, and our federal population. Uh, again, pe- federal population is about Let's call it just shy of 400 different organizations of both parent and sub elements uh, across the entire federal population. And that obviously includes uh, our DOD, MILDEPS, um, military services, et cetera. So, generally, uh, a holistic, unified platform uh, to support uh, the sunsetting of these uh, aging and uh, disparate legacy systems on a unified platform. And uh, again, uh, using new technologies such as AWS GovCloud, uh, cybersecurity uh, protocols under zero trust. Uh, We are an agile uh, program. We we subscribe to the agile tenants in in building this. Uh, The underpinnings uh, development security and operation or DevSecOps is is kind of the underpinning of that uh, security profile. And, uh, And then just the ability to iteratively mature capability based on high priority decisions from the customer base. And that's really Inbis in a nutshell, and some of the
0: concepts of how
1: we're trying to get after it.
0: Got it. So, so there's a lot going on there, and and obviously it's been um, kind of kind of a, a long process to get to where we are today. One of the more recent developments was, I think, in 2020, was the re baselining, quote unquote, re baselining of Inbis. Can you talk, kind of talk about what led to that re-baselining and, and how that kind of reset the, the schedule for, for the program and all the different things that you just mentioned? And, and what's the latest on, on how that's working out, I guess, about two years in now.
1: Not that we like to live in the past, but sometimes the past is important to understanding, you know, where we are in the movie, so to speak. So, um, the rebaselining back in roughly about the 2019 timeframe, two, two years ago, was predicated on the stand up of the Personnel Vetting Transformation Office, the USDI sponsored effort, to look at all the transformational activities needed to bring together and form up uh, DCSA. Many will recognize that DCSA was formed uh, by pulling as- aspects from DISA, OPM, uh, a contingent of other different organizations uh, in 2019 under one roof. And as part of that Personnel Vetting Transformation Office, or PVTO, there was a core cadre of folks looking at uh, things from IT uh, to just the transfer uh, transition of bodies from those organ- other organizations, building up the the basic tenets for an organization to uh, merge and then to grow. And, uh, uh, luckily enough, I had the opportunity to be on the assessment team for uh, the IT portion, and Embus and was the question of the day. What was going on for the first four years of imbus Why was it not necessarily working right? Uh, look at what could go better. So an as t- assessment and a rebaselining was uh, conducted, and to your point, about uh, two years ago, that rebaseline was uh, complete. It was presented to the enterprise. And since that time, about simultaneously, the organization of DCSA stormed, informed, and, and, uh, and we have since been after our, our building and developing Inbus for roughly about two years now since that time. And great news uh, from the rebaselining. Perhaps others might see it differently if you, if you think about the breach to now. Seven years in the making. But since the rebaselining, the forming of in the movement of this program under DCSA it has been two years. And uh, since that time, from a technical perspective, uh, I talked about we've employed agile construct investments in cybersecurity, again, using zero trust uh, best practices. And that was sort of, if you think about building the foundation of the house, we had to have a solid underpinnings of a very robust cybersecurity platform. Uh, We brought in cloud technology, AWS GovCloud, and we started to build the system. And over that two-year period to now, we have delivered 10 uh, major releases, technical releases into the system. 10 uh, of those releases are, again, if you think of agile and the terminologies are building blocks. Sometimes there are investments in infrastructure. With that infrastructure, the ability to iteratively operationalize that functionality. So over that two year period, we've been slowly investing in building blocks and operationalizing capability. And to date, we have three of our four pillars up and running in some aspects, uh, and that includes uh, basically case initiation, the ability for an applicant to submit a background investigation, and many of it will recognize that under the standard form construct. Um, we also have uh, a, our continuous vetting high side capability up and running and providing risk mitigation to the enterprise as we speak. Uh, when I talk about the high side, I'm referring to the JWICS uh, fabric. Uh, additionally, we are working feverishly to complete the low side capability right now with a goal to bring that technology uh, to uh, the hands of the customer, the mission owner for full operationalization by the end of the year. And then finally, we also have a limited deployment adjudications module up and running where our current uh, consolidated adjudication services facility is starting to use limited deployment applications of adjudication. And in addition to that, uh, we've already started onboarding the enterprise. Uh, To date, uh, I mentioned earlier about 398 federal partners that are going to onboard, uh, but DCSA is working on really concentrated effort on 114 parent organizations. And of the 114, uh, we just crossed roughly 65 uh, organizations onboarded into the system. So they're positioned, they have their accounts, and they're able to initiate cases through the front door of Imbus. So that's a huge win for the enterprise. So it shows that the front door is open and uh, we're now using the system in parallel with the legacy systems that exist Uh, to deliver functionality and reduce the burden on those legacy systems that I referenced before. And then finally, uh, we are in the the throes right now from an agile uh, development, uh, looking at different releases for the background investigations mission. And uh, again, the same approach, if you think about this iterative process of building blocks, Uh, the customer base prioritizes um, functionality. And in this case, in this example, the background investigations uh, functionality. And then we slowly build and add on to that stack over time. And and with that iterative release schedule, uh, we normally tackle these releases in quarters. um, And then we also augment that with point releases and security fixes or hot fix, uh, a break fix model is what we refer to it. So there's constantly activity, software being added, infrastructure being added in a a path to mature the system for the mission owners to be able to take over and start to use and
0: operationalize. And again, that's Jeff Smith, Executive Program Manager for the National Background Investigation Services at DCSA. We're going to take a short break, but we'll pick up the conversation when we come back. I'm Justin Doubleday, and you're listening to Inside the IC on Federal News Network.
1: With the broadest range of breakthrough technology solutions, Microsoft Azure for Government is the choice for classified missions. Built for government agencies and their partners, unlock insights, build new capabilities, and empower collaboration in secret and top-secret environments. Microsoft Azure is built for national security missions, combining cloud-native capability with classified networks, hybrid and multi-cloud, to create a developer-friendly platform that is ready anywhere and secure everywhere. Visit MicrosoftFederal.com. That's MicrosoftFederal.com.
0: Welcome back to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Justin Doubleday, and we're speaking with Jeff Smith, Executive Program Manager for the INBIS program at the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency. So when you're talking about case initiation capabilities that are kind of rolling out here, um, can you kind of describe what, what those are? Is this kind of the transition from uh, EQIP to E-app for applicants, or is this also the back end for agencies who are managing these cases? Can you kind of describe a little bit more about what that pillar looks like in INBIS? So I refer
1: to it as case initiation. Uh, we often refer to it as well as uh, the ability to initiate, review, and authorize an applicant. And today, uh, to your point, uh, applicants who... Uh, apply for a job for a clearance inside the government, use EQIP. It goes through that legacy process. For those uh, who have had a clearance in the past, uh, they were using EQIP and it used to be paper and it's evolved over time. And Embus uh, and has now brought to bear a more robust uh, functionality to do a very similar function. And uh, what we've invested in here is called EAP and EAP is a representation of the various standard forms, the SF-86, the 85, and the 85P. So these cover uh, basically uh, the population for U.S. government in some form or fashion for applying uh, and or for periodic reinvestigations. Uh, Organizations are starting to use EAP now as well once they're onboarded and enrolled. The beauty about EAP is it's a much more uh, robust, uh, intuitive Uh, front end. It has logic built in it uh, for error checking and correction. The ability to hopefully, not hopefully, we know it's doing it now, but it was predicated on investment in logic to help reduce the back and forth that we used to see in the prior years. So if an applicant makes a mistake or fails to give all the information over the required time period, such as where they've lived or their relatives or other pertinent information, In the past, you would have this back and forth going on with this manual kind of construct. And it has gotten better uh, over the years. PIPs, uh, EQIP, they've all kind of gotten better. Uh, But the main difference here is the logic that's built in to not allow the applicant to proceed until they reach that point of maturity in their application. So it removes a lot of the errors up front, therefore reducing any turnaround time or the back and forth ultimately speeding along the applicant's um, clearance request and or uh, the periodic reinvestigation uh, for future deferment into continuous vetting.
0: Got it. No, I mean, that's a great point because so many of these reforms are kind of targeted at just smoothing out the experience and making it faster in terms of bringing folks on board into the the national security into the and into the government. Um, I, I'm wondering just uh, quickly on the e app. Last I saw, that was in a pilot phase. Is is that still the case? Is it available to folks today, or where is that at?
1: No, it's well beyond the piloting phase. We, I would say, piloting began roughly prior to Christmas uh, at the end of last year. We have been up and running, and it is the cornerstone uh, to allowing us to onboard. When you hear me talk about onboarding into Pillar One or the front door of Inbus, that had to be a a very mature fleshed out capability. So it originally started roughly about January with uh, the build out and the release of the SF86 and us beginning to onboard partners so that uh, they would Go through a process to identify their hierarchies, their organizational hierarchies, and build them into Inbus. And then, uh, sort of, as a it gets training, uh, training is implied as it goes through. Every agency has to learn new ways of business inside of Inbus. Uh, they were exposed to EAP. And then we, we kind of use the idea of a graduating event. After a period of time of onboarding, an agency would go through the process of graduating by actually submitting live cases. And so today, as I mentioned, 64 agencies, actually maybe 65 as of this morning, uh, have now onboarded and are using, uh, app, uh, are using EAP to submit cases. I think this morning's numbers are roughly about 3,300 cases that have been submitted through EAP uh, since roughly since about January. And the, the number reflects, again, the onboarding of a parent organization. And the the challenge for the enterprise is not only onboarding the parent, but all the sub elements of an organization. So uh, this is our long ball game here is not only to get the initial parent in and using the front door, but for that parent to turn around and train and scale the agency, the rest of their sub elements in order to get full enterprise recognition. But bottom line, 3,300 cases being submitted through the front door. That's some uh, number of SF86s, 85s, and 85Ts. And again, it's it's up and running, and scaling is only going to – we're going to see a major trend in acceleration of the numbers. And what's very important there is with that pillar open – uh, basically, you reduce the burden on Equip. So every case that's submitted through the front door of EMBUS is one less case that will be submitted in EQIP. So it by natural process of growth and maturity, uh, the, re- the reliance on those legacy systems starts to ultimately go the other way, go down and to a point where we get enough maturity where we can start to look at opportunities
0: to sunset those systems. Got it. All right. Good update there. Um, I want to make sure we touch on continuous vetting. Obviously, really the cornerstone of of really this personnel vetting reforms that we've been talking about, it, it allows the government to kind of continuously monitor the cleared workforce for any potential issues and arrest, uh, suspicious financial transactions, things like that. You mentioned a system called Mirador that I think you kind of inherited that, that kind of formed part of the, the baseline, I guess, of what you're now building out. Can you kind of describe how continuous vetting is being developed and advanced from the software perspective, uh, from the application perspective, and the datas, the data streams that you're bringing in at the Inbus program?
1: So as I mentioned, let's call the continuous betting model uh, in policy longer than four years ago, but starting to operationalize roughly four years ago and maturing through initial investments called continuous evaluation uh, that morphed and matured into continuous betting, And uh, DCSA uh, in a an iterative approach to get to the Trusted Workforce 2.0 goal has invested in uh, an application referred to as Trusted Workforce 1.25 capabilities. And this was essentially uh, an early investment uh, to start to provide um, automated records checks. We refer to them as data sources or automated records checks uh, for that Uh, a small population. Uh, Today, our vetting risk operations center has about 45 agencies enrolled in Trusted Workforce 1.25, getting some basic rudimentary interim capabilities of these data sources, trying to do a much better job at giving a a holistic view of of a person. However, that's just a stepping stone to get to Trusted Workforce 1.5. And here we see roughly the addition of data sources and with a with a goal to expand um, that whole person approach uh, to mitigating risk for the enterprise and, and establishing a much more uh, robust trusted workforce. So over time, uh, you you start small. Uh, you have an interim solution. Uh, then you bring on other capability in Inbus, uh, As I mentioned, that's the capability that we're uh, feverishly getting after and, and trying to be able to place in the hands of the operators, the mission leads, so that they can operationalize additional data sources uh, to, again, mitigate future risk on the journey uh, to Trusted Workforce 2.0. At the end of this game, a Trusted Workforce uh, 1.25 started with three data sources or three automated records checks. By the time we get to a Trusted Workforce, we're looking in the at first blush and they'll always evolve over time, but we're looking at uh, bringing in and syncing up 26 different data sources from a high side fabric uh, down to a low side fabric and again to be running consistently on the population. Evaluating criminal records, financials, terrorism, eligibility, etc. So from three to the the future state of twenty six, and uh, it's logically logical to think that as policy morphs and matures in the future, uh, those data sources, new data sources, will probably be added along that journey.
0: Got it. And and I think what we're moving to in the near term here is, as you mentioned, trusted workforce one point five. What's the latest update on how agencies are kind of upgrading to that expanded set of capabilities as you continue on the path toward the full 2.0 capability?
1: So today, we currently, from a DCSA perspective, have about 3.6 million people covered under continuous vetting using legacy processes such as Mirador and other constructs, uh, manually based inside of our, uh, vetting risk operations center. Uh, the journey again is start low, start small. Uh, I, I mentioned there's 45 federal agencies currently enrolled about 50,000 cases somewhere in that, uh, uh range and, uh, and then grow to, uh, a greater number of data sources. I mentioned already that we have a, a high side in instantiation up and running and mitigating risk that is, that is taken care of, uh, again, looking at uh, using a number of these automated records uh, on a population uh, to, again, mitigate risk across the, the enterprise. And then simultaneously it's referred to as the uh, continuous vetting low side engine inside of EMBUS. And uh, we are at a point where we have, we are maturing the technology uh, with a goal to hand that over uh, so that the Betting Risk Operations Center, the mission owners can take over that capability and start to uh, slowly bring it online and marry it up against. Uh, individuals, individual organizations, or agencies that start to onboard into pillar two. So, our next major pillar here, I refer to pillar one as case initiation. Pillar two is really moving uh, very methodically agencies into uh, the IMBUS and starting to marry them up with the technology so that the mission areas can now operationalize that capability and ultimately take advantage of automation and the ability to scale and support full automated records checks uh, against the population. So it's a, again, a very methodical process. The population is covered many ways from uh, our DNI CES uh, brethren, as well as processes inside of DCSA. And then Inbus uh, in parallel is maturing and automating a much more robust capability to provide end-to-end enterprise support for continuous vetting. But it is a very deliberate and methodical approach. You gotta get your technology matured, you gotta get into the hands of the users and let them get comfortable and then simultaneously marry those up with organizations and agencies and then start to allow the thing to expand and functionality, and again, security across the enterprise.
0: Got it. And, and, you know, the the (coughs) concept, of course, everyone has embraced it, Um, automated records checks. It makes sense. But, you know, I'm sure... It's not quite as smooth when you're talking about actually developing and, and rolling out these capabilities at the ground level. What have been some of the, I guess, bigger challenges with uh, developing CV and how are you um, approaching them going forward?
1: Yeah, so I I think as we all have faced it here over the last two years, COVID has been one of the biggest challenges uh, for system development. Uh, Interestingly enough, um, our agency, uh, in the construct of uh, investing in the releases, um, was able to overcome the burdens of, uh, or the challenges associated with distribution and being separated with COVID. So from an engine uh, standpoint, we were able to continue development in environments uh, and not necessarily get overly impacted from an agency perspective. However, when you talk about um, continuous betting as an example, you have three letter uh, designated organizations, so to speak. And, and if they're not necessarily back in the offices in secure arenas or uh, their documentation uh, to establish these automated records checks isn't up to date, uh, that can impact your development cycle. So while One agency um, with a great team can continue to manage through COVID. Not everyone is equal, if that makes sense. And uh, the challenges start to hit your schedule when you have dependencies on external agencies, both from a documentation standpoint, a technical exchange um, document uh, criteria standpoint, and then just getting access uh, to the information. So, again, I I don't know that it's anything new um, from what we all face with COVID. Uh, but again, it was, it was two sides of the coin. As everyone is starting to come back to the offices from those uh, dependent a- external agencies, we're now being able to try to catch up uh, from some of the delay from them being uh, either down or quarantined or, or basic aspects of, of COVID. So, uh, again, uh, I have an outstanding team and I, I do want to get that plug in there. I could not do this. This agency could not do this without a... A very robust and dedicated, uh, highly professional uh, team getting after this problem. But when you're talking about a whole government system, you can't do it as an agency onto itself. It requires a lot of different partners, and not all partners are are operating
0: and running at the same pace. You are got it. That's that's a really good point there. Um, one thing I think you mentioned in discussing some of the pillars is that you're starting to develop some background investigative capabilities. I guess that would be what when we we're talking about CV that those are that applies to the folks who have already been investigated, who have gone through a, an, an, a some sort of background investigation, depending on the level of their clearance. And I guess perhaps what we're talking about in developing these type of capabilities is something that can help out on that front end investigation when you're first trying to hire someone into the national security community. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but can you talk a little bit more about what these initial background investigative capabilities might look like?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, the beauty of when you heard me earlier speak about Invis being developed on a unified platform. So first and foremost, the opportunity to have investigators or mission leads or mission areas not have to log into seven different disparate systems to find information to do their job is (laughs) <laughs> that in itself, getting to this goal of a unified platform, single data repository allows us to build upon investments through uh, our DevSec ops pipeline, our code that when we start with some basic fundamental code of uh, case initiation, as an example, this ability to develop the code where it runs through the system. And think through when I use the term run through the system, that means it, it's on a journey that it can go to background investigations, it can be looked at by continuous vetting, it can be uh, touched upon by adjudicators, and it's all within the same workflow. It's the same single piece of data from one centralized data repository, it becomes authoritative data. And it's no longer seven different systems that you might have to check amongst each other because there could be embedded errors in multiple data repositories on the same subject in multiple systems. So just the fact that we are building a unified platform, uh, we're invested in a um, uh, kind of a workflow builder construct uh, standard UIs, and the ability to take initial code that you might have put in at the early days for just initiating a case can, build, can be built upon uh, through each release so that the business owners from adjudication, from vetting, or from background investigation can build upon that. So interestingly enough, there's enough or there's a lot of capability fundamental software code has been invested in and matured for our other business streams that serve as foundations for the background investigation uh, infrastructure. And then from there, uh, from that core foundational infrastructure, we then work uh, agilely, to iteratively get after the most high priority, the highest priority features or capabilities that the business owner wants to invest in, and so at this point we're we're kind of through uh, the construct of we have some foundational elements uh, invested in for the background investigation mission. We are working uh, to prioritize all operational capabilities from the business and build it not to replace the single functions that they have today, but really to ch- find transformational processes uh, that will make the background investigation process more efficient. And as we mentioned with uh, CV and the use of data sources, uh, BI is also the background investigation mission is also getting an opportunity to uh, mature and uh mature their processes and also bring to bear automated records checks. So that's just an example of one of the many transformational features that will join the evolving and maturing background investigation capability. Got
0: it. Yeah. And and I imagine perhaps as part of this DevSecOps construct, maybe working with background investigators to kind of get their feedback on how maybe these initial capabilities are, are helping them get the information that they need.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that's that's kind of the basic core tenets of following uh, agile constructs is you build a little, you deploy a little, test a little, and then um, update with the customer constantly uh, in the process. So you take these bite-sized building blocks uh, that give you enough functional capability to test drive, so to speak, some of the applications before you go and build all the other tenants onto it and and while you're evaluating that small building block of of a release you have the opportunity to refine it um one of the terms that flies around agile there are many of them if, if those who are aficionados uh fail fast i'm not a, a fan of the term fail fast i'm i'm more of the approach of learn quick and you have to uh Define things. You have to build it small. You have the opportunity to refine it and get it right. So by the time you get to you know your full investment, the customer is now getting the product they wanted. And so that is one of the key tenets. Prioritization to get best value at the, at the quickest moment, refine it and continue to build onto it. And then finally, uh, from an agile construct, you often hear the terms that software has never done. And this just references that with evolving policy and with these types of investments in transformational IT systems, you keep the uh, factory line open and you have the ability to, when policy changes, to quickly reprioritize and invest in capability right in lockstep with the the mission owner, so there's never this idea of a drive-by fielding, uh, a 10-year development process where you deliver to the system and find out the customer didn't didn't like anything they got. The customer is part of the process continuously.
0: Sure, and I mean on that point, I think one of uh, one thing people might not be aware of is that your program is actually one of the pilot programs under something called the software and technology pilot programs uh, it's a it's a budget flexibility pilot essentially that allows you to not have to split up i guess funding pots into r&d procurement and sustainment because of the the notion that of course software is never done you don't just go through these different phases where you're developing for years and then you're just sustaining after that but it's it's a constant development what have been some of the the lessons learned so far under that pilot program? I imagine it's great to have budget flexibility, but how is that working out so far?
1: So I've, I've been at DOD Acquisition for quite a while, and Agile and the reforms that you're referring to is is kind of uh, geared up under acquisition reform initiatives. And yes, Embus has had the opportunity to be one of the very few DOD and, and maybe even whole of government programs to take on this type of investment. And I think we were one of the original eight that were piloted for Budget Activity 008. We refer to it as BA, BA08. And it's really a, a tool that Congress gave us to remove some of the restrictions uh, that were aligned with the colors of money. So many people may or may not recognize that money when it's handed down from Congress for your program has colors or restrictions on it. There is research and development funding. that's usually two-year money. And then there's O&M for operations and maintenance. That is one-year money. And then for other programs, not agile-based, but uh, when they're buying a material product, there's there's, um, procurement funding as well. And so for BA08, this um, pilot initiative allowed us to take RDT&E, uh, Research and Development Dollars, and O&M, and put it into a central pot and remove the restrictions of either one-year or two-year, and allowed us the flexibility to get after better, more um, aligned software development contracts, and it's just given us flexibility Uh, not to get away from the restrictions. That was never the intent was to, you know, remove the restrictions. It still has a life. It still has two year restrictions. But when you're able to blend your money, it gives you much more flexibility, specifically over annual appropriations, CRs that usually go into effect every year. These these tools allow us to put contracts in place, get after talented resources in these uh, venues, such as software, uh, get after buying agile teams to support these efforts. And it just gives you, again, overall flexibility to execute your program without constantly having to go back and realign and get caught up in maybe funding constraints that you had with colors of money or restrictions uh, from traditional O&M and RDT&E.
0: Got it, and that, that's a that's a good overview of, of why Congress has instituted that program. You know, in the time we have left, uh, Jeff, I just wanted to ask. You know, I, 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 we've talked so much about how this is, you know, iterative development, and all, all these different systems are being rolled out in concert and constantly upgraded, and so on and so forth. Uh, but of course, there there are these big markers in the sand that I'm sure you you pay a lot of attention to, and and one of them is uh, I think that. By, by about next year, 2023, you'll have these legacy systems um, decommissioned, and, and you'll kind of be on INBIS uh, and the new capabilities as a whole. Is, is, that some, is that a schedule that you think can hold? Um, are, are there any updates on that big goal line?
1: Now That's uh, the million-dollar question, right? So um, it is the goal. It is our objective. We haven't let up off of that. There's... Uh, no one anticipated COVID. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, NBUS, uh from a programmatic standpoint, asked for no quarter off of our original schedule. But as I mentioned, some of the things you can control with a schedule and then other things uh, when you have outside dependencies that were impacted by things like COVID, you don't get to control. So there are the things that you can control. You can put together a schedule. That's that's acquisition 101, uh, integrated master schedule You know to lay out how do I get from here to there. Um, But they're just like all plans. You know, you've heard the phrase that all plans don't survive contact. What we uh, are wed to is the goal lines of FY23, knowing that plans shift daily, you have outside uh, influences that you can and can't control. But what we have to do using agile techniques and, and practices as a program, look for those opportunities to, if it goes sideways in one week, find a, a way to get it back on track very efficiently and effectively using these agile tenants. So our plan, our objective is remained the same. Uh, we know everyone is very interested in sunsetting these legacy systems. Uh, we are iteratively bringing capability online. We are hitting the maturity milestones. Uh, however, it is a complex schedule. And I think uh, as we continue through this, we will continue to evaluate any pitfalls or hiccups and we will adjust fire. I think what's important for everybody who's listening to know is that we have no cliffs other than we know that we have a legacy set of systems out there that we want to get sunsetted. We want to remove that burden for the enterprise. And we're trying to mature a very complex capability that really has never been done before at this size and scale. There are hiccups, we will continue to get after those. but the fact that we have both of these systems one coming online and maturing very quickly there is an underpinning of the legacy systems that continue to exist we just have to make smart decisions Uh, we absolutely have to keep those legacy systems secure uh, and up and running and uh, while we mature the capability but the good news story is they're both running in parallel and uh, as long as we're uh, managing the risk identifying managing the risk and and maybe even accepting some risk as we build out Uh, I think we can hit our goals. Uh, We believe we are on target and we're not giving up. Our foot is not coming off the gas pedal for FY23.
0: And again, that's Jeff Smith, Executive Program Manager for IMBIS at the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Inside the IC on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your shows.